0: book of Ephesians, and uh, we are moving at quite a a good pace through the book of Ephesians and hope to to keep this up and cover about ten verses tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, the first half of the chapter, is the things that God has to do, the things that God will do, the promises that God has made to make us part of his church. You have to remember the context. Everything in the book of Ephesians is through about and for a local church. It was a letter written to a church. The Apostle Paul started. He spent more time in Ephesus than any other church. And the first half of this chapter, he talks about all the things that God has said that he would do. That he has lifted us up. He has predestinated us. Uh, and don't be afraid of words that uh, people of, uh, what shall we say, uh, false and inferior faiths uh, embrace. And we're, we're talking specifically about Calvinism. They love to just talk about everything is predestined. And, and I remember one story uh, a preacher liked to tell. It was a pastor who'd gotten wrapped up in Calvinism and he got into the habit of saying, uh, it is predestined before the foundation of the earth. And then put something out. One time he got so ridiculous, he said, it is predestined before the foundation of the earth that I should eat this chicken leg. And the assistant pastor had had enough. And he grabbed it out of the preacher's hand and ate it and said, see, I told you it's not true. And big problems. Uh, But that's what happens when we get wrapped up in the thought process of men and stray from just simple teaching of the Bible. If God is the author of our salvation, and the Bible is very clear that he is, why would he only save us halfway? How many sins is he going to let into heaven? Zero. Zero. Nada. Nothing. None. And so God has got to do some work to us to get us fit for heaven. By the way, does Jesus have to do some work to us to get us fit to serve in the church? Uh, absolutely. That's what all these promises are about. And then the second half of this chapter is just about who God is and the goodness of God. And we get to chapter 2. Uh, well, let's, let's just touch on a few things here. Verse 23 is one of the most astounding verses in the Bible to me. When it talks about the church being his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We know that Jesus is the eternally self-existing God. He is everywhere present. Read John chapter 3. He tells uh, the Pharisees and the people that he's talking to there in John chapter 3, he says, no man has ascended up into heaven save the Son of Man. And read it there, it says, which is in heaven. Jesus said, I'm here on earth and I am in heaven at the same time. He is the one that filleth all in all. But you know what he wants our church to be, each individual church to be? The fullness of him. Where are you going to learn about Jesus? Uh, You're not going to learn about Jesus anywhere, honestly and truly about Jesus, except in a church that preaches and teaches this book alone. You know, uh, several years ago, uh, Mel Gibson was given a lot of accolades for making a movie without the help of Hollywood about the passion of the Christ, and, and uh, there were Baptist churches. Uh, I know one that I attended a couple of services while I was a student in Bible college, and they canceled, well, they closed their church building down on Easter Sunday morning, the year he made the movie, and took the whole church to a movie theater to watch that movie. Now I'll tell you, Mel Gibson is not a believer in the Bible. There's a demon-possessed nun, and by that I simply mean a nun that saw visions and and uh, had uh, extra-biblical revelation, and she wrote a book in the 1870s uh, about her visions, and that's what Mel Gibson based the book on, uh, the movie on that book, not on the Bible. If you did the crucifixion of Jesus in a film, three hours of it would be total blackness. Uh, Not exciting, my friend. Uh, This is not what Hollywood is made out of. And we don't want what Hollywood is made out of. If you're going to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ, it's got to be in his church. Can you read the Bible on your own? Yes. Can you go to heaven without being a member of a church? Praise God, yes. But if you really want to experience what the Bible has, take what the Bible says. And then we get to chapter 2. And now the Apostle Paul is going to begin to speak about you and I. And you. Well, you can't get much more directly than that, can you? And again, he's talking about those who are members of the church at Ephesus. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I do not know any single passage of the Bible that I refer to more in my preaching and passing than this part of Ephesians chapter 2. Whenever I try to explain what eternity is going to be. Right here is the explanation. Uh, to try to help someone understand what happens when a person gets saved. Uh, I like to use uh, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. And Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 and 10. And John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 and 16. I mean, that that is where I go. You cannot find any better basis of explaining salvation than you can in those passages. Often, uh, I reference uh, verse 1 when we talk about why you need to be born again. Why Jesus uses that terminology. It says, You hath he quickened. Now, that word quickened, simply means to make alive. Uh, When I was a little boy, uh, trimming fingernails and stuff, every once in a while my mom would go, "Oops, I got into the quick. And what that meant was, uh, that was the living part. That's where the pain got involved. Uh, But the simple idea here, the idea of quicken, just simply means to make alive. You can't make something alive that's already alive if you're going to quicken something that means you're giving life and it says who were dead in trespasses and sins now this is something that sometimes we get a little confused I've met people who said well pastor I've been saved all my life uh, no, there had to be a time when you came to the source of life and were quickened. Because the Bible is very clear, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, there, uh, when we were born, we were born into this world what we call a free moral agent. Uh, that's why when a little child is tragically killed in a car accident or some um, problem or through disease, if they are very young, they have not reached an age. Uh, or we talk about those that were born with mental issues and things where they would never develop normally to a point of understanding. Uh, they're not born saved. But let me ask you a question. How many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross? All of them. And where there is no law, this is Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, there's no sin imputed where there is isn't a law. And we do the same thing here in the United States. Several years ago, very tragic accident. Uh, A little two-year-old got playing in his mother's purse and there happened to be a loaded pistol in there. And he pulled the trigger and actually killed his mother at two years old. Are we going to take a two-year-old and arrest them and put them on trial for capital murder? No. If we could, we would have arrested the mother and put her on trial, but since she uh, suffered at the fate of her own foolishness, An accident there, there's no one charged with a crime. Now, if you're 22 years old and you do the same thing, I don't think that's going to hold up in court very well. Do you? Uh, Because you're old enough to know what a gun is and you're old enough to uh, have a decision here. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. In the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. There comes a time in the development of every person where they finally understand that sin is disobedience to God and they will choose sin because we're born in the image of Adam. So, the whole world. Now, look here what it says. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, uh, disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Now, Paul here in these two verses, and again, this is what I mean about the book of Ephesians. It is just so packed with with truth. I mean, every line. he He says, listen, the time in the world, the time when we were in trespasses and sins, we were dead. But we were following the course of this world. Uh, people often talk about world history and the flow of time and, and they, uh, try to say that, uh, you know, this was so much worse than it is today or, uh, and none of that's true. Because people are people. And what happens is we tend to look on things with our 21st century understanding. And we go, barbarians, how could someone live that way? And yet, we might have someone from the medieval age come and said, you have over 50,000 People killed every year on the highways of America in automobile accidents you must be insane to have allowed that invention to prosper uh, I mean uh, you, you have to understand you can look at it both ways we're all crazy when it comes to sin and the, that is the course of this world don't expect anything different but understand that the course of this world is also according to the prince and power of the air. How many need me to explain who the prince and power of the air is? Didn't think so. We, we know his name. We call him the devil. Uh, he is the one running the system. Now, just stop for a moment. This is one of the reasons why people who have great talent and ability in the world before they get saved often really get messed up after they get saved. I I remember one of my roommates in Bible college, he he said, Before I got saved, he said I had all the girlfriends I want. Now that I'm saved and trying to be a preacher, I can't. I can't get anybody to even look at me. And I'm sitting there going, Well, uh, if they knew the things you said in the dorm room when nobody was listening, there's not a girl on campus that would get within a mile of you uh, because your heart's not right and your attitude stinks. and your desire to serve God's non-existent. So why why are you complaining here? Uh, let's understand something: that what you had out in the world, you're not going to have serving Christ. The abilities that you need to serve Christ need to come from the Holy Spirit of God. And so much of what we call talent or innate ability is the course of this world. Some of it is learned behavior according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, here it says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You have to understand that every good thing that the world has to offer is attached to the devil that rules it. This is why separation is so important. This is why shunning worldliness, fighting against our natural desires. We were dead in trespasses and sin. Not only do we have the course of this world... Uh, The prince of the power of the air and the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. But look at verse 3. We have the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. And by nature, we're the children of wrath. This is the description of who we were before we got life. From Jesus Christ. Any questions as to why we needed life from Jesus Christ? Why Jesus was so emphatic in his statement that said, You must be born again. Birth is the beginning of life. If you've ever held a newborn baby, uh, I'll tell you, there are uh, the Lord blessed us with 12 over the years and with every one of them. It was just an awe. Uh, I, I have had the privilege of giving several of my grandchildren their first bath. I mean, right after they're born. And, and, um, and I'll tell you, just sitting there touching this little... And... and you just this is life when we get saved it's the same thing life we must come to the source of life because we are dead if they make one more stupid television show or movie about the living dead i i don't know what i'm going to do Uh, Dracula does not exist. But let me tell you who the living dead really are. It is every person who is unsaved on this earth. They are the living dead. And they have nothing but hell to look forward to. And we wonder why they get depressed and commit suicide when we have people like our politicians running around screaming that we're all going to die and uh, that, uh, you know, everything good is evil and everything evil is good. I mean, why wouldn't you do, uh, go to despair in that kind of world? But there's hope. Because as a person, a child of disobedience, a child of wrath, a child that's under the dominion of the prince and the power of the air, I can come to Jesus and he will give me life. Now many people preach that, oh, once you get saved, everything is perfect. Well, if you want to live in fantasy land, be my guest. But if you want to live in the real world, the struggle has now begun. The battle has now been enjoined. But the ability to live that life comes from Jesus Christ. We live in a world. In order to be saved, you must be lost. But you need and must understand, must comprehend this truth from the Bible, that once we are saved, there is a difference. Uh, there should be a difference in the way we live, in the way we think, in the way we talk. It should be in the way we dress, in the places we go. Uh, there should be a difference in every part of our life. And so we get here to verse 4. And and uh, let's just finish verse 3. And it says, we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. Listen. There's nothing different about human beings. Someone said, we're all God's children. No, we're all the children of wrath. We're all under the interdiction, if you would, of God's eternal judgment. But there's a way past that. Look at verse 4. But God. But God, it's interesting, he starts verse 1, and you, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. Now, we don't have time to go through and build the whole mercy thing up again, but mercy is what the defeated receives when you surrender to the victor. Not always, But God says, if you'll surrender to me, I will give you mercy. Why? God's mercy is based on, is built on, has sourced in His great love wherewith He loved us. How great is God's love? We sing that song uh, that if... uh, every man on earth were scribe by trade and every stalk were a quill and the oceans were full of ink that we could not write the love of God in the sky. Nice nice poem, nice song. I like to sing it every once in a while. Uh, the name of the song is actually called The Love of God. Uh, trying to describe the greatness of God's love is impossible for the human tongue to do so because God is Fill in the blank. Can we say that loud enough? The air conditioning isn't on. You don't have to really make it loud. God is love. God is love. Let's try it with a little conviction this time. God is love. There we go. God's love makes the well of mercy Everlasting. You wonder why God puts up with us. It's this thing called mercy. God is great in His mercy. It says here, For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. One of the reasons Jesus came to this earth was to be the ultimate revelation of God's love to mankind. To show us the way. He told the disciples, John chapter 14, the way ye know. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. What was Jesus' answer? Say it with me if you know it. I am the way, the truth. And the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We've been through this in Hebrews chapter 2. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. I mean, that verse ought to make you just say, wait a minute. I mean, if I were to ask us how many of us are ashamed of some of the things we've done in our life, every hand would go up. But he's not ashamed of us. Because he paid for every sin with his blood. God, through Jesus Christ, gave us the life that Jesus came to give. And that is the definition of grace. Amen? Now we come to verse 6. And it says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this idea, and hath raised us up together. You go to the book of Jude, and he says, I, I was needful for me to write to you of the common salvation. Now, I heard a preacher preach on that one time, and he was talking about, that uh, Jude was trying to rebuke the Christians for making salvation common, and that really was not the right proper use of that word. Jude was saying, "It, It is needful for me to remind you that the salvation that you and I possess today is the same salvation that Peter and James and John and Jude had in their day. That God only offers one kind of salvation. And that salvation, it says, raised us up together. Now, I'm going to get on my hobby horse again here. hear me talk about church, 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 all the time, church. You know why? Because we're very reactionary. You see, in the Catholic Church, they taught you salvation was in the church. In the Orthodox Church, they teach you the same thing. That if you ever stop attending church, you're going to lose your salvation. Well, we as Baptists don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach that. But here's what the Bible does teach. If you're saved, you ought to be involved in the church. If you're saved, you ought to serve Jesus through the church. I challenge you, go through your New Testament. I have many... Many, many times you cannot find any service for God from Matthew 16 to Revelation chapter 4. That is not by through four and from a local church. Uh, It's always about the church. That is God's program. I have a book on my shelf that says God's program for uh, planet Earth, the church. And that's what the book is about. Uh, because he's just trying to put forth in that book what the Bible says. So, this idea of being raised up together is the fact that our Christianity isn't for us as individuals necessarily. You must get saved as an individual. No one can get saved for anyone else. It's not group salvation. But that living for Christ is supposed to be done in a community, in the body of Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And it says, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, right now, I'm on an earthly place. But the Bible says, I am seated in a heavenly place. You see, God has the end from the beginning. This is why the salvation that Jesus offers is eternal. God sees the end from the beginning. He sees all time as if we were to look at a picture. God is outside of time. If you ever just want something to twist your brain up a little bit, try to think about that. I mean, if you remove time... From the human mind, you lose your sanity. You cannot operate without time. That's one of the quote-unquote tortures they do to the terrorists when they catch them is they leave a light on 24 hours a day to try to disorient them so they'll talk and give the information that they want. Uh, But you lose track of time. And it is hard for your mind to operate. Everything is about time. But God, time doesn't affect him. Time has, uh, no, we went through the the passage a day is as a thousand years, and and night, watch watch in the night when it is past, in Psalm 90 there. Uh, And here it says that he has seated us in heavenly places, uh, together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, if there is a word that we do not use as much as we should, it is the word kindness. Have you ever had someone just be kind to you? Uh. You know, you ought, we ought to pray and exercise kindness, especially toward the brethren. Oh, I, I forgot to relate to you, uh, Brother Moser, our missionary in Germany, has had a change in ministry and a change in his supporting church and all of that. And just because of the changes that he has made, uh, we, we won't be able to continue supporting him. We cannot just send money overseas to an individual uh, it was being processed through an American missionary that was there and, and, and all of that is the way it's supposed to be. But uh, pray for Brother Moser. But one of the things that he did, he said, I want to thank you for the kindness of your church. Your lady sent us cards and they talked to us, wrote letters and prayed for us. And when we were there, uh, he, he used the word kind two or three times. And, and I'm going, wow, that's good. Uh, That sermon illustration material, right? Uh, Jesus is kind to us. How many of you have ever really deserved a good, at least verbal, thrashing uh, because of something foolish you did? And someone said, you know what, we're just not going to go there today. Let's pick up the pieces and move forward. I'll tell you what—that's that's kindness, isn't it? And sometimes kindness can be uh, a little harder. I, I know with little children, sometimes you you're, you want to help them, and and uh, they're trying to learn how to walk, and and I've had the little ones actually just pull away and stand, boom, right there on their face, and you're sitting there going. Why do you got to do this to yourself? Well, a couple of times, they'll learn to hold on. And so sometimes, rather than letting them fall hard, you just let go and let them fall a little easier and try to catch them. But God is kind to us. He, The Bible tells us the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, here's just a note. There's not a time, there's not, uh, we will never be free from discouragement or just growing tired or the temptation to grow weary in well-doing. What you need to do is memorize verses like this and plant them in your heart and mind because it doesn't always feel like love and kindness as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to understand the Bible says it is there. Can we say amen to that? The exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. That's what heaven is going to be about. We need to ask God to do some miracles. The greatest miracles when a soul gets saved. Amen. I remember praying that when we started the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, that God would do some things that were so big only He could get credit for. And I believe God's answered that prayer in many ways. But I don't want it to be things in the past. I'd like it to be some things in the future yet, amen? Uh, I want it to be things until Jesus comes back so that we have a lot of things to discuss when we talk about the riches of His grace, when we talk about the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the ultimate kindness. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace. Let's go back to verse 6, I believe it didn't know. 5 is the definition Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. that That's God's grace. We are saved by the unmerited favor. That is the textbook definition of the word. We are saved by that which we do not deserve, by God's goodness. But that grace is not appropriated in the individual life without faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, what is faith? Faith is simply believing God's Word to the point of obedience. How many of you can remember the day you called upon the name of the Lord and asked Him to save you? That's faith. That's why we reject the Calvinist who says you can't pray and ask God to save you. You can't pray God into your soul. Well, who's dumb enough to believe that? I don't pray God into my soul. It's not my prayer that does the work. It's his grace that does the work. But he asked me to express faith in him by confessing the Lord Jesus with my mouth. And believing in my heart that God hath raised him from the dead. If you need faith, there's only one place in the entire universe you can get it. Faith cometh by. I couldn't hear that. Let's try it again. Faith cometh by. And hearing by. Okay, we'll have to work on that. Do you believe that? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now, this next phrase puts TBN, the charismatic movement, and all of the tongue speakers out of business. And the positive thinkers and uh, uh, all of the rest of them, Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddy, the Christian science movement. Uh, I can never remember all eight of her husbands. But um, the simple truth of the matter is... And that not of yourselves. See, the seed of all false religion is that faith is in me. Wrong. There's no faith in me. I am of the course of this world. I have the lust of the flesh and of the mind dwelling in me. I cannot save myself, but if I will come and read God's Word and hear it, And express God's word in a living fashion. He'll give me faith. Faith belongs to God. He allows us to reach up and grab a hold of it. And sometimes the Lord's going to take you for a ride. And it just might be scary. But don't let go. The Bible says hold fast your faith. Why? Because it is of God. It's all about God. Your faith is not of works. Now, this one puts out of business all of the Protestants and the Catholics and the Orthodox. Uh, I mean, they are so bold to say that uh, they believe in a semi-Pelagian salvation. And if you uh, have ever heard anybody use that, they're just trying to sound smart. Uh, Pelagius was a guy who wrote that salvation was, God's salvation was a result of your works. And you can find it in the, uh, 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 Thomas Aquinas and uh, uh, all of the Catholic church fathers is your salvation is based on your works. That's what the sacramental system is all about. That's why we reject it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could get to heaven by doing something, would you not have the right to boast? Would that not be an accomplishment? According to the Bible, you'd be the only person in human history that's done it, but God said nobody's going to do it, so no one has. Uh, And thinking you've done something doesn't mean that you've done something, now does it? How many of you thought you understood the subject matter until you took the test? Reality sets in, does it not? For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The last phrase and we're done tonight. For we are his workmanship. Now that word workmanship is not used much anymore. The performance or execution of work or a work, labor, in early use, often the labor or amount of labor performed on a particular task or piece of work. The workmanship was used first in the English language to describe the amount of labor that it took to produce the product. Now, how much work does God have to do to produce a Christian? Well, Calvary's cross is just the beginning. The empty tomb is just the beginning, is it not? Then it's a whole life of living, Uh, Verse definition 3 says, that which is wrought or made by a workman or craftsman, a person's work, also uh, something produced as a piece of workmanship. Now, both of those definitions are what God's talking about. There is a vast amount of God's grace and mercy that goes into making a Christian. The entire work of Jesus Christ was designed to save us. But we are an example. We go back to those verses that talk about being predestinated to the adoption of Christ, to the sons of Christ, to a level of position in heavenly places. Um, but we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Would it be an unusual thought that if Jesus Christ came to earth to die for sinners, to save us from our sins, that after salvation our life would not should not be described by sin? Is that an amazing thought? No, it's perfectly normal and right. You see, this whole preordination and predestination stuff that the Calvinists run amuck in is just simply that. It's a bunch of gooey thinking. Just leave it alone. God saved us for a purpose, for a reason. So that in the ages to come, He could show the story of how great His love is and how good He is and how kind He is. And when you get discouraged, this is where you need to go. Is you need to remember God's great love. God's exceeding infinite kindness. God's patience with us. That He, we sing the song in Sunday school, He's still working on me. Uh, Don't use that as an excuse to be a problem for God. Amen? I told Timothy to be an example. Even though he was a young man. Even though he was in Christ many less years than many of the people in the church. Uh, when we first started our church. Uh, my wife and I were the youngest members. Members. Uh, and uh, I remember having to take a elderly gentleman in his 70s out and had to explain to him that just because he was the oldest man in the church, he was not the elder of the church. That was a name that belongs to the pastor. And he said, but I'm elder. I said, but I'm the younger elder. I'm the younger that holds the position of elder. Oh, oh okay, I, I see that. Uh, he didn't see it very clearly because he left very shortly after that. And it said, listen, we've got to grab a hold of these incredible truths that are in these ten verses here. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in his mercy for his great love wherein he hath loved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a lot of work to make us fit to serve in the church. God is exceeding good, but the work that he does in his life, in our lives, he wants to spend all eternity exalting the work that he has done in our lives. That's what church is about. Can we say amen? Let's pray.